On today's episode of the Free Marketeers News, we're talking about increasing prices of electricity, possible new lockdown regulations, and much more coming up very soon. Good afternoon, everyone. I hope you're doing well. Chris here with another Free Marketeers News Roundup, talking about the biggest uh, social and economic issues of the past week. This week, we are very lucky to be joined by Rian Sali, who's going to help us unpack all of these issues. For those of you who don't know Rian, I would highly recommend that you follow him on Twitter and check out his articles. He has written for the FMF in the past. You can find all of his articles and research at www.freemarketfoundation.com. Rian, thank you very much for joining me this week. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks yourself, Chris. Yeah, doing very well. Thanks. Just a quick uh, intro, as it were, if you wanted to tell the listeners a bit about your background and how you came to be associated with and work with the FMF. I, I do believe you're studying at the moment, so we're I'm glad that we're getting you while you're still studying and you, you're being exposed to all the, the woke ideology at university. Yeah, so I'm basically, basically a short intro to who I am is I study a BA in politics, philosophy and economics, um, which is an interdisciplinary degree. So I do think that it gives me a lot of uh, like breathing room to write on political issues because it's a combination of politics uh, with economics through a philosophical lens. Um, and I do a lot of, uh, I, I post a lot about politics on social media across various platforms. Um, and so that's how I started finding out about the Free Market Foundation. Uh, as I wasn't aware that there were free market tiers as it is in South Africa or even on the African continent. So that was really good to find out. Um, and so I basically found you guys through Twitter and then we started connecting um, and yeah, that's how our journey or my journey writing for the Free Market Foundation began. Excellent. And we're very lucky to have you. And I look forward to, uh, to more articles from you in coming weeks and months. We need at least one article a day. So I'm, I'm looking for your output to, <laughs> to increase exponentially very soon. But uh, to just focus on the issues for this week that we're going to talk about, we're going to start off with news that came out this morning that government is possibly looking at lifting some of the lockdown regulations. Um, government seems to be a bit more comfortable with the trend of COVID infections. Um, I still think the vaccine rollout could be better, of course, but it, it has somewhat improved, we, we can say. Just your thoughts on whether lockdown regulations will be lifted. Do you think that's a good idea or a bad idea? And if so, which possible ones could be lifted? Um, any, any thoughts that you have on that? Mm. So I do think that the government should lift it. Um, and I think that they are going to lift it because of the, the I think, basically the political pressure to do so, because uh, the economy is suffering. We have high unemployment um, in the country. And we've seen that the, the chaos that has originated from a spectrum of factors um, in KwaZulu-Natal and Gauteng. Uh, um, so there's, a, there's significant political and socioeconomic pressure to lift the restrictions. But I think there's a combination of the vaccine rollout and the momentum that it started to gain um, when they started to open up the group of 18 between 35 to go vaccinate. Um, and so I think that because of those factors, 
um, the government really doesn't have any justification for imposing stricter lockdown measures. Um, so things like the curfew, for instance, that's putting the restaurant and hospitality industry under immense pressure. And we know that um, by and large tourism is one of the biggest drivers of economic growth in South Africa, just because of the structure of, of our economy at present. Um, and so because that hospitality industry is under so much pressure, um, lifting the curfew is not only reasonable, but there's no, there's actually no other justification for having the curfew in place to begin with. Uh, uh, so to lift that burden off them a little bit. And I think that that's one of the most significant ones that they have to look at just scrapping entirely. Um, and we need to go to some semblance of normalcy, although the rest of the world uh, might not want to talk about it in that sense. But with South Africa's problems looming, we do need to go back to, um, you know, a more open South Africa. We are reasonably open compared to the world, but we need to lift the remaining lockdown restrictions. Yeah, definitely something to keep an eye on. Next week, of course, we're recording now on the 3rd of September. So hopefully within the next seven days, maybe we'll have another family meeting. So listeners, you have that to look forward to with our incomparable leader, President Cyril Ramaphosa. Our next news item, I found this very interesting. Botswana has lifted its economic growth forecast to 9.7% now. <laughs> South Africa's growth rate hovers between like 1% and 3% on average. or It has for the last 10 years, and I don't foresee that it's going to increase necessarily unless the government radically adopts pro-economic freedom reforms. So mm -hmm. Botswana expects its economy to grow by 9.7% in 2021 compared with the 8.8% forecast in February. And this is largely helped by higher diamond sales and a recent rebasing of GDP accounts. The Botswana finance minister Peggy Sarame said that the upward revision was due to a combination of technical changes resulting from the rebasing of the GDP by Statistics Botswana in July, alongside the strong performance of the diamond sector in the first half of 2021. So there is an element of, of commodities performance. The world has seen a big commodities boom in the last year. Countries such as South Africa should also be taking advantage of this. We aren't as much as we should because, for example, in the mining industry, there's violence. There's lack of reliable electricity supply. But Rian, just your thoughts on, on Botswana's sort of growth trajectory. And do you think, I mean, what are the things that South Africa could do, just like the top three things that we could do to lift our growth rate in some sort of significant way? So equity frameworks is one of the biggest impediments to South Africa's growth because it, it's hindering foreign direct investment, um, and the other thing that's also hindering that are policy uncertainty driven by uh, expropriation, uh, the as well, basically taking away property rights uh, in the form of Section 25 in the Constitution. Um, and then things like the NHI bill uh, that is looming as well. We have many more restrictions coming in the form of the internet censorship bill, and then we have more levies that are coming in the in the form of uh, a kind of a, a TV license on cell phones or mobile devices. So a lot of those unnecessary restrictions need to be stripped away. And it's going to give almost like an immediate boost to South Africa's economy because it's going to allow 
uh, freer trade. But it's quite it's quite concerning that we are still moving in that direction, um, although we have agreed to the the African continent continental free trade area, um, which basically motivates countries in Africa to lift equity uh, restrictions on businesses to have freer trade uh, between countries and within the borders of our country. So we do need to shift our policy towards that free trade area that we've agreed to um, and say that, you know, South Africa isn't just open for business for certain individuals um, and politically connected individuals, but it's open for business for everybody. Um, and that's going to give an immense boost because it's going to drive employment, which we so desperately need. Um, so I think that those those policy uncertainty and the equity frameworks in the form of BEE um, needs to be repealed, needs to be stripped away, and that's going to give that's going to give an almost immediate boost to, to our economy. I think those are really solid recommendations, and they don't require. I mean, they require government to maybe let go of its desire to control our lives. So they require mm. government to be a bit more humble, but they don't require government to spend hundreds of billions of rands like government would have to do to implement its other plans, which are just going to push South Africa down further down the economic freedom rankings and add to unemployment. So I think those suggestions that you bring up are, are very much appropriate. Moving on to our next item, this has caused a lot of controversy in the last two weeks. I don't think it's the last that we're going to hear of it. So I hope the listeners uh, don't get too excited that it has been withdrawn. But Social Development Minister Lindiwe Zulu has withdrawn the Green Paper on Comprehensive Social Security and Retirement Reform less than two weeks after it was first gazetted in August. The withdrawal was affected by a notice in the Government Gazette this past Tuesday. It gave no reasons for the withdrawal and Minister Zulu caught the market by surprise in August when she suddenly published the paper without going through Cabinet or the National Treasury to test it against existing tax and fiscal policy. It also emerged that it, ha it had ignored a report by the National Economic Development and Labour Council or NEDLAC setting out risks and problems raised by business. So in a nutshell, this plan wanted to force South Africans to allocate yet more of their income to this socially managed, this government managed social pension fund, as it were. Um, Rian, obviously good news, I think, in one way that the paper has been withdrawn. But mm -hmm. I mean, given government's track record, we should prob probably expect that some new version of this will come up in the future again. Mm, some watered down version and it's particularly dangerous because we we found out a few weeks ago or just just less than a month ago that the tax base in South Africa is significantly decreasing so we know that the the middle class is shrinking um is halving now and it's it's going to um uh, struggle more economically in the country because of many factors and many policies that the government have. So to bring a proposal uh, to, to add an additional tax levy in whatever form um, is dangerous and it actually hurts the poor more because it puts a bigger burden on them and I think that that's where the controversy came from uh, because many South Africans realize that it's not just going to be this the so-called the the so-called top one percent that's going to be paying the burden, paying the price for this, but it's 
the middle class and um, uh, the, the poorest in society that's going to have to bear the cost of this. Um, and it's to bear the cost, and we shouldn't make a mistake, it's to bear the cost of the government's failures um, over the last 20 years uh, to really reform the economy in a way that doesn't uh, continuously drive government dependency by the population. And the, what we ideally want in our society is a society that's uh, self-dependent, a society that can live, its, live of its wealth, because most South Africans actually want to spend their own money. They want to have their own income. They want to have a good income. But that can only happen when the conditions that the government set in the market are correct. So it's kind of ill-advised that they were pushing for this, this additional tax um, to so-called save the poor when in actual fact it is hurting the poor more. Um, so it was kind of ironic, and I think that that's where all the controversy came from. I mean, I think that insight that you share is invaluable around uh, sort of the intentions of, of government plans and then their actual effects. And I, it was, I believe it was Dr. Thomas Sowell it might have been Milton Friedman. I mean, either one. Obviously, people should read both of them, both of those, those sort of pillars of classical liberalism. But the, along the lines of you should judge policies by their effects and their consequences, mm -hmm. not necessarily just by their intentions, because politicians, I think, and bureaucrats try and uh, portray their policies as very noble and they you know, they want to help poor people and that kind of thing. But a lot of the times, I think 99% of the time, these policies just inhibit and limit what poorer people can do for themselves. But Jan, our next item is around the JSE and the JSE boss Leila Furi has flagged capital outflows from South Africa as a major concern. So of course the JSE, the Johannesburg Stock Exchange is Africa's biggest stock exchange by market value. And she said the rate of capital leaving the country is the one thing that keeps her awake at night. <laughs> I think there's a few more things keeping us awake at night, but I'm glad she's bringing this up at least. She said that South Africa needs to do more to make an investment case for the country. Um, and she also said that she's concerned about the disinvestment from South Africa. As a country, we need to do more to put out a positive narrative and create a coalition of the willing between the public and private sector to try and crowd in more financial support and more inbound investment. Now, I, I, I strongly share her sentiment and I agree with it, but I feel, and you know, she might be in a difficult position where she, where she can't be too harsh on government, but I, I don't think we're going to see what she wants without government adopting the right kind of structural reforms, stuff that encourages economic freedom and economic growth. So, I mean, what do you think of what she said? Do you have any sort of insights and advice for her? And, and how do we encourage more capital investment into South Africa? You know, um, interestingly, the, this capital outflow that we're witnessing in South Africa um, has been something that we've been witnessing, I think over, we could say over the last year and a half or two years. And that came at the, at the time when the ANC moved to adopt the expropriation of land and to remove section 25 of the constitution to basically strip away private property rights. Um, and so South Africa is no longer seen as a safe investment. Uh, number one, 
uh, investors generally don't find South Africa a very confusing investment. But to add to that is this idea that, well, your, your property uh, can be in the hands of the state at any point in time for on any grounds. Um, and you, you would have no legal uh, recourse in that regard because they are moving, removing the biggest recourse, which is in the constitution, which enshrines private property rights um, as intrinsic in, in the country. So I think that what's driving that capital flight is to say that, well, if our property is not going to be our own, then we might as well not do business in the country. Um, so the first thing anybody needs to do um, in any agency um, who wants to see reinvestment into South Africa um, is to uh, advocate that the government don't move ahead with that plan because we can see that that land reform can be done uh, within the, the confines of the constitution. Currently, uh, the government just doesn't have the political uh, willingness to do so. Um, so in order for us to move forward as a country, we need strong property rights. We know that in countries that have the strongest property rights in the world, um, they have a significantly higher uh, income per capita in the country and a GDP per capita in the country. So we know that the only route to that economic freedom and that economic success that, that individuals want in the country is to have strong property rights but because the government is making moves to expropriate or remove section 25 of the constitution to remove private property rights from the constitution we know that investors don't see south africa as a safe investment anymore and they might as well take their money elsewhere uh, to other african countries who are willing to move towards more free market um, and it's surprising that South Africa is actually the only, is one of the African countries moving away from free, the free market, um, whereas other African countries are now moving towards the free market. And we've seen that, you know, the, the good effects of that. Um, so that's my biggest advice. And that's the, the, the biggest call I have to the president. If he wants to be the great reformer, then he, he needs to scrap the plans that the ANC has for expropriation because it is going to be the source of many of, of many of our problems in the country. Um, and it is the source of a draining of investment in the country at the moment. No, I think that's exactly right. I mean, we can, we can call on businesses, both local and foreign and investors to invest, but you, <laughs> you need to make it easy for them and incentivize them. It's, it's not like, you know, it's it's just logical to me, um, and that idea of consequences follow from from policies and from from what the government does. So we shouldn't be surprised and then blame businesses and investors when they look for better places to invest. I think now that the world hopefully starts to emerge from COVID nineteen, investors are going to look for places where they can get good returns on investment. And why would they invest in a place where their property and their investments are not secure? So I mean, it's up to South Africa and the South African government to to make it appealing to them to invest in in the country. I think um, our final topic for this week is just around electricity prices, and this was an article by Mike Schussler, I think at MoneyWeb. So I recommend people go and find that if they want to read the piece and have the figures in front of them. But he pointed out that municipal tariffs are gob gobbling up 
an increasing portion of household income in the country, and electricity especially is becoming almost unaffordable. According to data from the Johannesburg Property, Property Owners and Managers Association, its council bill represented 14% of tenants' household expenses in 2009-10, but now it's almost 24%. The biggest increase, 224% over this period, was in electricity tariffs, while salaries increased by 91% and rent by only 80%. Schussler also said that electricity costs represent 27,6% of the median private pensioner's income. In Cape Town also, there's been protests around high electricity prices. In response, the city first issued a statement to bust myths around disregard, but then after that, Mayor Dan Plato issued a statement blaming the ESCOM monopoly for high tariff increases that are being forced on the council. City power in Johannesburg loses almost 30% of, it, of its electricity, mostly due to theft, and paying customers have to compensate for those losses by paying higher tariffs. So, Rion, not, not to make out that this is just a, a one sort of cause issue, one can talk about things like theft, and that increases the price of electricity, but when cables are stolen, they have to be replaced, and that cost is eventually passed on to customers and consumers. But what do you think about South Africa's rising electricity prices and how we solve it. I mean, people are paying more, but it's not like ESCOM is necessarily more reliable. So there's no mm. bang for the buck, as it were. Mm. And, and this is the, the biggest case study for competition and how healthy competition can lead to better solutions for consumers. Um, and South Africa needs to move towards getting IPPs uh, to be able to sell electricity on the grid uh, to consumers across the country, because that is going to have that is going to have the positive effects that you want to have for ESCOM, irregardless of ESCOM being um, unbundled or not. And we we think that ESCOM should be a large part of ESCOM should be privatized as well. Um, but getting that healthy competition and getting that electricity market going um, would lead to better outcomes for consumers because at the moment we are we are set with exorbitant costs um, and these costs are you know because you only have one uh, supplier um, there's not really a, a sort of pushback there can't really be a pushback from consumers in that regard so if something isn't working you go somewhere else and that's what South Africans don't have at the moment um, and so I think for the whole world, this is this is the best case study of how a monopoly um, is actually driving uh, surging costs in the country. Um, and we do need that, that competition from IPPs uh, across the country to be able to sell the electricity to consumers on the grid. Um, and to nuance that a little bit is that a large portion of ESCOM's problems is you know, stemming from corruption, but that corruption stems from that monopoly on, on power. Um, so we, we, we know that across the world that wherever there's a monopoly, corruption is rife. Um, so yes, corruption is a problem at ESCOM, but the monopoly leads to that corruption. And so that's why we need to have that healthy competition. Um, but to say that the, the ANC is miraculously, or the government and ESCOM is suddenly going to get rid of corruption uh, by having the willingness to do it, I think it's a little bit naive because it can't happen unless we have that healthy competition. 
No, I agree very much with that. And I think you you touch on something that we should definitely unpack more in future episodes, just around the when you mix the the government with the economy, you in a way incentivize the possibility for more corruption. If the only way for people to get ahead and to quote unquote make a profit is by being involved with the government, they're gonna lobby and do everything they can to make sure that government officials favor them, their friends, their businesses. I mean, in the US, some people would say the lobbying industry in Congress is one of the biggest, you know, quote unquote, job creators in the world. And that's because the US economy is intimately involved in people's lives. And <laughs> what do you expect? Their businesses are going to try and lobby and, and, and affect where the government gives uh, contracts and where it doesn't. So we should definitely have that deeper discussion. We shouldn't be surprised when things like state capture happens when the mm. government is so involved with the economy and our lives, uh, we should look at eliminating as much as government of government involvement as possible. But Rian, thank you very much. I think we've we've covered quite a lot of ground this week. So thank you really for helping me unpack our biggest issues. I very much hope we'll have you on again in future episodes. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure to discuss some of these ideas with you. To the listeners, thank you once again for joining us for another episode. I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, if you haven't yet, if you're if you're listening to this on YouTube and you haven't yet, please like the video before you leave and also subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you're listening on other podcast platforms, please also ensure that you are subscribed to the Free Marketeers. We all are available on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, pretty much anywhere you can get good podcasts and also leave us a rating. We would great, greatly appreciate that. And that will ensure that we that our content reaches more people. As always, you can find all of our articles and research at www.freemarketfoundation.com. And finally, make sure that you follow Rian on Twitter. I will provide a link to his Twitter profile in the description below. Until next week, take care, have a good weekend, and we'll talk to you again very soon. Bye bye.